0: Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that helps you become the kind of advisor people can't help talking about. I'm Julie Littlechild, and today Steve and I are talking to Eliza Depardo, the founder and director of consulting at Depardo Consulting. Eliza launched Depardo Consulting after almost a decade as a co-founder and a director of FA Insight, so she brings a very unique blend of evidence and actionable advice. We're talking to Eliza about team compensation planning. And we know this is a challenging area for advisors or, or for anyone, really. Eliza shares some ideas on how to start thinking about compensation in a more strategic way by focusing on the behaviors we want to encourage, as well as the culture that we want to cultivate. This is such an important topic for advisors who want to create a referable business. And with that, let's get straight to the conversation with Eliza. Eliza, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Welcome, Eliza. Julie,
1: Stephen, thanks so
0: much for inviting me along. Oh well, I am excited to talk to you. Um, the, the main challenge, of course, being figuring out our time zones to get you right. uh, get you on today. But so thank you for being so flexible on that. Um, but well, we
2: we should tell the listeners, you know, that that Eliza is in Australia, so she's it's that is first true. thing in the morning for us, and evening for her.
0: That is true. Western Australia,
1: so probably as far as uh, far away as possible, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, lots of probably.
2: lots of people feel that about me. They'd love yeah. to be as far away as, <laughs> as, as far far. possible.
0: Early in the winter. right exactly um but look you know I think um a lot of our listeners and we'll connect your name Eliza to the to a lot of the the deep research that you've been doing for so many years although of course you've been doing so many other things but maybe you could we could just start there can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing and have done
1: sure I'd be happy to so uh, for the last 12 years or so, um, I've been a co-author of the F.A. Insight Research. I co-founded the firm with Dan Veen all those years ago. And, and over the years, we've explored pretty much every area of advisory firm performance. And um, every second year, we spend a lot of time in human capital, and we look very closely at compensation planning. Um, we alternated that with what we call growth by design, which is understanding um, how firms achieve sustainable growth and looking at marketing and operations, technology, all sorts of things. Um, And off the back of that research, we of course were able to utilise the data to be able to consult directly with advisory firms. And typically we consult with larger advisory firms and I continue to do that today as Depardo Consulting. But a great deal of the work that I do as a consultant is in strategic growth planning and helping business owners, shareholder groups to figure out how they're going to grow, how they'll differentiate, how they're going to compete, what they're going to be known for in the market. But oftentimes that work leads to um, much-needed guidance around human capital, obviously with people being very much the leading indicator of success for any business. Mm -hmm. And as a result of that, so much of the work that I consult in is in organisational design and compensation planning. We really find... These are areas where firms really get so challenged to work through some of the very intricate challenges that they experience.
0: And so I mean I said compensation planning but I guess more broadly human capital is probably the the appropriate term here Um, and it, it at some level it seems obvious what we're talking about but there's a lot included under that umbrella. Can you sort of talk us through the components of that that firms are really looking at?
1: Yeah, as it relates to human capital, it really
0: runs the gamut.
1: So oftentimes it's really hard to make smart decisions in the area of compensation if you haven't thought about your organizational design and if you haven't clearly defined the roles within your firm to then be able to figure out how to compensate. And if you take a step back from there, those decisions are often – quite difficult to make without a clear strategy. So if we don't know where we're going, it can be very challenging to figure out what is the best structure for our team? What are the roles that make the most sense for us to serve the types of clients that we want to serve and to try and grow the business to the extent that we seek to create scale. So all of these pieces are interrelated and beyond organizational design and compensation is of course the big issues around performance management and of course business succession. Um, transitioning, transitioning ownership is always a challenge for firms as well. So, you know, the human capital area itself is um, requires sort of attention in so many areas, but there's kind of a linear approach to it, even though sometimes for firm owners it's kind of hard to take a step back and to think about, well, what do we need to do first before we jump on, for example, compensation. Right.
0: Yeah, I can see. So I, I can imagine a lot of people coming to you and thinking they have a compensation issue and, and you need to start 10 steps back. Is there that, that first key area that you almost always get back to starting with?
1: Yeah, generally, it does depend in some cases on, on how far advanced the business is. Mm-hmm. But strategy is always a great place to start if you've got the appetite to do it, if you've got the discipline to do it. Organizational design is a very natural next step, and and what I mean by that in particular as it relates to compensation is you really need to be very clear on how you define the roles within your business, what the accountabilities are, kind of the buckets of accountability. Because you can't do apples to apples comparisons with industry benchmarking data if you don't know what the accountabilities are that you're comparing to. So I always encourage firms to do that groundwork around creating role clarity, and that means documented job descriptions, understanding where some team members might be fulfilling dual roles, and you might need to combine position descriptions and then combine the compensation data in order to come up with what what is a fair and reasonable way of of, um, compensating a team member. Mm -hmm. So they're great places to start, but then in addition to that, I would say as it relates to compensation, the very first step that I encourage firms to take once they're down that path is to think through their compensation philosophy. And that means bringing together the executive team. If you've got more than one business owner, you need to be collectively coming together to think through what is what, is our, what are our beliefs around compensation? What, what are some of the principles that we're going to apply to the compensation plan that we can apply consistently. So every time we add new talent, we're not trying to figure this stuff out all over again. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm.
2: And so, you know, when you talk about um, human capital and uh, role descriptions and compensation planning and those kinds of things, you know, the, a lot of people may get the impression that you're talking really specifically to larger firms. But but is that is that the case? Or or, you know, um, what what kinds of firms should be concerned about this?
1: It's a really great question, and I think just because some of these larger firms have created a lot of complexity in the way that they compensate team members, as they've grown headcount, the plans obviously oftentimes become more complicated, and they tend to need more hands-on support. However, if you're a developing firm, perhaps you're, you know, at early stages of development, maybe you've only got uh, half a million in revenue revenue that's a great time to be thinking about how to pay people in a really structured way, how to adjust compensation in a very formal way so that as you hire, you're not blowing out your pay scale. You're not creating economic challenges for your business because you've figured out using benchmarking data, how are we gonna consistently adjust compensation each year? Um, incentive compensation is incredibly valuable, but very few, based on our research, very few small firms use incentive compensation. I think it's an amazing opportunity for small firms and large firms to do better as it relates to the use of incentive pay. So I guess the point is, if you can understand the principles of compensation as you're a developing firm in your early years, that's going to set you up really, really well as you grow and you're less likely to have a misstep um, as you're adding headcount and really creating scale within your firm.
0: You mentioned a half million in, in revenue. Is that, is that a bit of a tipping point that you see, or does that even exist?
1: Yeah, so in the FA Insight research, those generating under $500,000, we would call the operators. And generally, they've got a headcount total of two, maybe 2.5, which includes an owner and um, some support staff, likely to be client services managers. As you get to uh, the next stage of development, the cultivator stage, which is 500 to 1.5 million as we define it at FA Inside, you're starting to add headcount. Your headcount increases to five. And you're starting to add different types of positions. So the associate advisor, as an example, joins the ranks during that period of development, that cultivator stage. And so you need to start thinking differently about how you structure compensation because the way you pay an associate advisor, the types of performance objectives you set, is going to look different to the way in which you might compensate an administration assistant or a client services manager. So that's why I think it's a great time to start thinking um, in, a, in a more um, advanced way about your compensation practices, the way you define roles, the way you set performance objectives. I think it makes a whole lot of sense at that stage.
2: Can can we talk about incentive compensation for just a minute? Because I think this is this is, I think, a, a, a big area where a lot of um, especially smaller and mid-sized firms can really learn about this. You know, some, so many firms, um, you know, basically compensate uh, as a proportion of uh, assets or revenue that, a that, a, that an advisor brings in. It's, it's almost like, you know, in in sometimes they'll talk about, you know, this is your share of your production or something like that. And I'm thinking, if you're thinking about an organization development perspective that, you know, talking about your production is not a, is not a, productive perspective on that. Can you give us your thoughts about about that and and if there are better ways of doing that, what they might be?
1: Sure. So incentive pay is certainly the most challenging component of compensation for firms to get right. And what we know from the research is that on average, incentive pay accounts for just 11% of total compensation across all positions. So There's a lot of opportunity for firms to use incentive pay to their advantage. As it relates to how you structure incentive pay, you're right, a lot of firms will kind of default to some sort of percentage of revenue or um, they'll they'll link it to net new assets. The key to getting the most out of any investment you make in incentive pay is figuring out for each role what are the behaviours you're really trying to motivate, what are the things we need to absolutely discouraged because there can be some unintended consequences in an incentive plan if you're not really paying close attention. So as an example, a client services associate who is very, very close to dealing with clients and understanding um, in a very direct way where the business is doing really well in terms of service delivery and the client experience. And they also see where the firm is not doing well. So you might decide as a business owner that well for our client services managers, we're gonna have them focus on client satisfaction, client retention, and we're going to do that by asking them to um, perform above and beyond their role job description and contribute to special initiatives within the business around the client experience. So you might create performance objectives and pay them as an example, a percentage of base pay for being able to contribute to the development of your client experience. You might want to redesign your onboarding experience for new clients to really enhance the way in which clients think and feel about the business and to increase our referral opportunities. And so, those are the roles that are close to the clients that are going to be really helpful in creating new and innovative ways of onboarding a new client. So, it's a really simple example of how you can then take an objective, give them, give your team member six to 12 months to complete it and pay them a percentage of base pay, which is a really simple model for those types of roles, to be able to drive the right behaviours that really connect to the firm's strategy. Um, as another example, you know, an associate advisor that is focused on retention of existing relationships and servicing existing clients, you might um, want to focus that position very, very firmly on the development of new referrals uh, from those existing clients, referral generation, Um, increasing assets from existing clients, broadening the advice that you deliver to those existing clients, training some of the more junior support advisors or paraplanners within the business. There's so many behaviours that would be valuable to encourage through the plan. It's just a case of identifying what are those really important drivers for your business and linking compensation to those
0: drivers. You mentioned also discouraging behaviours. What would be an example of that?
1: So in in some cases, you might find that a compensation plan might foster an environment of internal competition between advisors, whereby if you're just rewarding based on revenue managed, then it means when a client comes to the firm, if an advisor maybe doesn't even have the capacity to serve the client right, or perhaps there's actually somebody else in the firm that has more of an expertise that suits that client, you might find that the business actually doesn't necessarily do the very best for the client, that that advisor hoards the, the clients because they're rewarded for the total revenue that they're serving, as opposed to having other advisors with perhaps more specific capabilities or more capacity handle those relationships. So that's an example of how you might create some kind of unintended consequences in internally making making team members internally competitive. Or you might drive, for example, a a more transactional culture where it's all about rewarding for brand new revenue as opposed to retention and ongoing services. Um, That's not going to work out so great for the business culturally in the long term either. So they're the sorts of things that, going back to your compensation philosophy, if you think up front about what are our values as a business, what are we trying to encourage our team members to do more of, and what are the things specifically that we want them to do less of or stop doing or avoid motivating through the compensation plan.
0: And you mentioned um, accountabilities. And I want to make sure we don't lose that because I just think it's such an important distinction, job description versus accountability. Can you talk us through that?
1: Sure. Uh, One of the easiest ways to to define the job description is to really um, begin by outlining the buckets the areas of accountability for a given role type, and then detail step-by-step each of the accountabilities within that bucket, if you like, or that area that you're expecting the individual to be accountable for. There's a difference between responsible and accountable, and you wanna be encouraging your team members to be entirely accountable for those areas that you define in the job description. And along with defining those accountabilities, you also wanna think about providing direction to a team member on the percentage of time within a role that you expect for them to be focusing on those accountabilities. So you might have five key accountabilities in a position, and then you might decide, well, uh, the first one is the most important. Perhaps we want, we want you to focus 50% of your effort during the regular working week on that on that accountability. So as an example, the associate advisor is entirely accountable for the retention of existing relationships growth of assets from those existing clients, generation of referrals from those clients, the coaching and mentoring of all junior team members. And they might play a very small role in um, new client acquisition, okay, because we want that role to be learning the new skills to ultimately move to a lead advisor. But we only want them to be doing that 10% of the time because the rest of the time we need them focused squarely on retaining, servicing and generating referrals from our existing client base. That's a simple way of looking at it. It's all about accountability over responsibility and be very, very clear as you define each position.
0: Hi, it's Julie here, and I hope you're enjoying today's discussion. I just wanted to jump in and let you know about an upcoming event, and this one is all about helping you to increase referrals. On May 26th at 4 p.m. Eastern, I'm going to examine the evolution of client referrals. I'll share some of our most recent research on the topic for the first time and map out a tactical plan to drive referral growth. You can register at absoluteengagement.com slash webinar and we've included that link in the show notes as well. I hope to see you there
2: and and when you when you talk about um, incentives for referrals, I'd like to dig into that a little bit so how how might an incentive plan for referrals? look?
1: Well, probably the easiest position to relate this to is the associate advisor position. So an associate advisor, as I mentioned before, is a servicing advisor, accountable entirely for retaining uh, existing relationships that are of of great value to the firm, right? The associate, um, depending on where they're at in their development, might have there might be very high expectations around referral generation, or, or perhaps if they're developing, perhaps you might expect a brand new associate to bring in, let's say, three to five referrals during the course of a year, and you might require those referrals to be uh, meet to meet a certain criteria, right? So that they're target referrals. We're not just bringing in any new client, but we have defined what our target client looks like, and you might um, you might also then um, You might put in place a a minimum asset level, if that's something that's important to your business, depending on how you charge your clients. Um, And then introduce a percentage of revenue. And this is an important part. A percentage of revenue only paid in year one for that referral that you've generated. So it might be, let's say 20% or perhaps up to 30%, depending on the seniority of the associate advisor. 30% of that revenue paid in year one only. And the reason it's paid in year one only is that we want to encourage the next year for them to be focusing on the same outreach, the the same referral generation activities, um, and not to become too complacent by any kind of ongoing revenue that they might um, be able to attract. So that's an easy way of thinking about rewarding an associate advisor. And you might do the same for a lead advisor. Um,
0: Um, I think that... Sorry, go ahead, no, no, we want to hear you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to add that, you know, the client servicing roles can also play an incredible role in generating referrals, but their role is less direct, but they're still incredibly important. So if they are the ones um, tasked with ensuring client satisfaction at every step of the way, that we're implementing our, our client experience, the way we've defined it, and that we are, making the clients think and feel a certain way about us at every step of the engagement with the business, um, the likelihood is that's going to support our advisors in in generating new referrals. And so I think it makes a whole lot of sense to think of objectives in those areas of client experience, client satisfaction, client retention, as all part of the puzzle for referral generation and reward those perhaps less, um, more junior positions for those contributions that they make. In my view, every single role within the business has the ability to have a dramatic impact on the success of any one client relationship. And in in that way, every team member should have some access to intensive compensation that motivates the right behaviours that contribute to our overall strategic direction.
0: Well, you, you sort of you actually started going down a path that came to mind there because um, I was wondering about, you know, we talk about a, creating a culture of referability and how we uh, ensure everyone on a team is pulling in, in the same direction, but but i'm also thinking about the critical importance of helping people see exactly how they contribute to some of these outcomes where they may not feel that they're in control is that something that that you look at as strategically for for teams as well
1: absolutely i think you know as you build a strategy and and actually we know this from the research that we've conducted that when firms are developing a strategic plan and the fa insight research 76% of firms are um, setting objectives around client satisfaction. 73% are setting objectives around client retention. So we know that these are high on the list of priorities for firms as they're strategizing. But those numbers aren't going to materialise, you know, the, the performance in these areas won't just materialize. And I think it's it's very helpful to, to even talk to the team and ask them how they believe their roles can impact more heavily around client satisfaction and retention and referral generation ultimately. I I would encourage firms to, to, to have those conversations with team members, get the ideas from a team as to where they think they can contribute, and then you come back to them with objectives in these areas. And I do think, again, client experience and, in particular, kind of process refinement, coming up with innovative initiatives that can really... Drive the experience and make the clients think and feel a certain way about the business because the processes are there to support the experience. I think that's the sort of stuff that are non what we call non revenue generating roles can can do incredibly well.
2: Yeah, I you know there there's so much good stuff in there, and I, I really want to highlight you know the the, um, the whole idea. You know, some of the things that you said that I really picked up on were everyone has a role in referrals which i think you know a lot of a lot of firms would admit to but they don't really understand it in that much depth and 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 that you know everyone can have a resp- you know have specific responsibilities in that area everyone can have incentive compensation in that area and i also you know really like your comment about sort of breaking down the experience so that you're not just concerned with client satisfaction, but you're, you're, you're concerned about client satisfaction with the onboarding process and client satisfaction with other aspects of, you know, I think that's, that's so rich that, you know, you can really, you can do a lot by digging down into it and not just, you know, handling it it, it, at sort of an overall gross kind of, um, kind of thing. So one,
1: one of the, um, the exercises that's incredibly helpful in in digging into that client experience and connecting team members to it is to go step by step through the process of prospecting to you know first meeting um, second meeting implementation onboarding and so on review process and ask yourself at every step of the way as a business How do our clients think and feel about our business now at each of these steps? And ideally, what do we want them to think and feel about us as a business after we've we've taken them through the process? So what can we do to move them from where we think they are now to where we want them to be, where we are delighting our clients and we are doing everything we can to make sure that where there's a referral opportunity, that we are getting that referral opportunity.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, a form of client journey mapping, right? To Exactly. Uh, yeah. But focus, yeah absolutely. Really
1: but focusing very much on the emotions of the client. Mm-hmm. What is our client truly experiencing at every step? Yeah. Are they nervous to come and meet with us? Are they embarrassed about their financial affairs? What can we be doing to help them feel differently as they work with us? Exactly.
0: Well, you sort of raise a point, um, and you mentioned it earlier about performance tracking. Um, I mean, at 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 some level, it's interesting to hear that seventy three percent, or if that was the, if I'm getting the stat rate of firms, say that they're tying uh, comp to SAT because I can assure you 73% of them do not track SAT. Um, so. well, yeah. <laughs> Actually, what, what's the or I'd be on a beach it? right now um, <laughs> yeah. and, and not having this the,
1: conversation. <laughs> 76% of them use, uh, they, they incorporate client satisfaction objectives. In their strategic right.
0: planning, work. got it.
1: Okay. Do so I think that they are following through necessarily, as you say, to be able to to track client satisfaction, and then make changes in the business? I, I think it's yeah. it's more, in most cases not not the case.
0: Well, it's a um, challenge, right? Uh, Especially when it's not hard things like new clients or you know all of those things to to not only track it but to measure performance. It starts to become subjective, and it's it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's now, we're talking about incentive, but it's not always cash incentive as well. Are you seeing some creativity in terms of the kinds of incentives that are being offered?
1: Uh, yeah, and it's actually an area, <laughs> excuse me, in recent years, at least in the, in the FA Insight study, what we wanted to understand better was how firms were using non-traditional benefits mm-hmm as a way to create employee value. So we always talk about the client value proposition, but very few firms talk about their employee value proposition. Mm. So what we wanted to understand was in addition to compensation and some of the more expected traditional benefits like your retirement plan contributions or um, medical insurances, what else are they doing? And so um, in the last people and pay study we conducted, we and this is pre-COVID, we identified that um, 70% of firms were offering flexible working schedules. 61% um, have had made remote work options available. Of course, the numbers yeah. likely much higher than Brilliant.
0: that. Brilliant. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <Prescient.
1: laughs> yeah. Exactly. There's 51% offered stuff that some kind of subsidized training programs for their team members to participate in. Paternity leave time time off for volunteer work, which I think is is wonderful, Um, subsidised meals. Things like bonus days off were offered by 18% of firms. Now, that's the sort of thing that is really valuable to an individual, getting time off to spend with your family, your friends, or just time out because you're exhausted. It doesn't cost the business a lot to deliver benefits like that, but you can have a huge impact on the well-being of the team and the culture that you're creating. So I think it's worthwhile asking the question of your team members, again, kind of maybe proposing some ideas around the benefits that you think would be valuable as a business owner, but asking them, what are they, what are the things that they would really value as part of those sort of all non-traditional benefits? Because it will look different depending on the demographics of your team members. And you want to make sure that if you are offering benefits, that they are being used by the team and that they're being understood and valued by the team also.
2: And is there some, is there a, um, structure that that you would approach this with sort of a hierarchy you know, that that you know we we know that we have to get base pay right first because if if we're not then the other things we might offer are, are going to be less perceived with less value how 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 would a firm yeah. approach this you know in a in an organized way
1: so I think one way to look at it is that base pay and incentive pay are huge contributors when you are recruiting new talent The other incentives, those non-traditional benefits like having extra bonus days off or paternity leave or flexible working arrangements so that you can take your children to school and pick them up in the evenings, those are the things that are going to make people stay. And I think we probably all know people, um, you know, friends and family who maybe could be generating a higher level of income elsewhere, Mm -hmm. but because they have so many other benefits that help them to balance their lifestyle and give them the flexibility they need, they're very happy to trade off um, perhaps pursuing a higher level of compensation for some of these softer benefits. I I think they're all important components, Stephen, to your question. Um, I do think at different times in the hiring process and in the retention of talent, things will, these, these various components will be more or less meaningful to a team member. And I think it changes also amongst team members because, interestingly, of course, we've all got different levels of motivation and and some might absolutely want to be just shooting for the maximum incentive. And you need to know who those people are Mm -hmm. and you need to understand what's driving them because some of these other things I've talked about may be absolutely not a fit for them and may not, not, not be viewed with any real enthusiasm
0: and so do you find firms are, are trying to sort of personalize to that extent and and find things that are meaningful by individual?
1: I think it's really early days. I, I yeah. feel like we've been sort of, you know, tracking some of the data on this for a few years, and we're just starting to see the increase in some of these non-traditional benefits, which is a great thing. I think it's moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's still quite a long way to go in terms of really optimizing that opportunity to, to offer different benefits that can create value for different ways. But I would always encourage te- uh, firms to survey their team members and ask them the question, and here are the things we're offering you. How do you, how do you feel about these benefits? Are you utilising the benefits? Are they valuable? If not, what else would you, would you feel would be more valuable for you? just kind of an easy way of being able to get to the heart of it without the guesswork. And of course, you don't want to waste money in the process.
0: Yeah, I, I, I wonder also if, if some of these things are a nod to the culture. I mean, I've, I, I remember talking to a wildly successful firm who did quite a bit in terms of employee engagement, one of which was just this silly little acknowledgement. And it, it it was a chocolate bar that they had done it anyway. I mean, the point was it wasn't the chocolate bar, (laughs) but, but the recognition was very important. The recognition in front of your peers was very important and it just created this culture of the leadership was thinking about these things and Mm -hmm. trying. Um, And, and they, yeah, it, it created a different culture.
1: Well, I think that's, that's a perfect point to make there Julie, in that all of these components of reward benefits come back to what you what behaviors you're trying to drive within the business mm-hmm. and the culture you're trying to create the values that are most important to you as a shareholder group and that's why that compensation philosophy so thinking very early on about what are our what are our values most firms have defined what they you know most I shouldn't say most firms a number of the firms I've I've worked with have gone through that exercise Defining the values that, that are dear to them as a business, and you can then use that as the springboard for making all of these other decisions. Are we really delivering on, the, on our on our promise to our team members, the culture that we want to create? Does our compensation support those co- that that um, those those values? Does our do our benefits support those values, or are we um, not quite aligned? Yeah.
2: And 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 just sort of to wrap up Eliza, you know, so that's really interesting about how a firm can approach it. What what do you see as the future? Where do you see this going in terms of compensation strategies?
1: Well, I think we've got a really long way to go. When we look at um, how few firms are, are using incentive compensation, I think there is a very big opportunity to think more about the behaviors that we want to drive, to think more about how we can connect pay to our strategy and reward team members above and beyond baseline responsibilities to contribute to our strategy and make sure as we're doing all of that that we are really um, aligning to our our core values as a business um, we just we just know from our research that very few firms certainly larger firms tend to do a better job at it but smaller firms in particular really shy away from making significant changes like incentive pay when they're they're thinking about the compensation plan. These are prickly difficult issues to um, figure out sometimes. Um, And I think that's why many businesses tend to kind of put them on the back burner. But I do think there are so many resources out there now that that firms can tap into that they can really kind of get a good start even in, in the early stages of development to really try to understand the principles and start applying them early on. So you can, you can really build a great plan as your, as your firm grows. Uh, you don't encounter some of the challenges that so many businesses do. Well,
0: I know that uh, you have a lot of great resources and certainly the research that you've, you've done over the years is, a, is a, an enormous resource for advisors. Where, where can they find out more and learn about the work that you do?
1: Um, the research is available um, through FA Insight. So um, most, I'm sure many of your listeners are familiar with FA Insight, they can access the annual study. For TD Ameritrade, those who have a relationship with TD Ameritrade, we produced a wealth of resources, in particular, um, some great guidebooks in compensation planning, which help firms to kind of walk through each of the steps that they need to get, get through to help make, make decisions in, in compensation planning. So I encourage... For those of you who want access to resources, you know, there, there are certainly plenty out there that we have developed. And if firms need more hands-on consulting, then um, certainly that's an area where I'm able to support directly, um, where there's that appetite for very much, you know, working through some of the, the, the bigger challenges and trying to resolve some issues, which perhaps, you know, have become a little bit too hard for a firm to handle on their own. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it, that's great. Well, we'll make sure we include a link to your website as well in the show notes. So thank you so much for your time. appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Eliza.
1: Thanks, Julie. Thank you, Stephen.
2: Hey, folks, Steve again. Thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really helps. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at com. You can also get our free report, three referral myths that limit your growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. So until next time, so long.